Well, g'day, folks. Welcome to the Awaken Network podcast. I'm John Tyson, lead pastor of Church of the City in New York, and I'm joined by Chad Bohai, who is the lead pastor of Radiant Central Coast, and Sam Gibson, who leads Pray NYC in New York City. Thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about prayer, revival, awakening, and what it looks like to seek God for another move of the Holy Spirit in our time. It's great to have you with us. Well, g'day, folks. Welcome back. This is season two, Building a Life of Prayer, and this is episode four. To build a life of prayer, you need a sacrificial allocation of resources. Mm. I think about whenever I hear this passage, I always think about Mark chapter 14, which is Mary of Bethany who comes. Yeah. And when there's a dinner being held in Jesus' honor, she comes and she gets the alabaster jar and she pours it out. Mm. And there's the critique from Judas who's about to betray Jesus, who cares about money, not about the poor. And he accuses her and Jesus defends her. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you'll always have. You can help them when you want, but you won't have me. She poured perfume beforehand for my burial. Therefore, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached mm. throughout the world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. This is this is such a mind-boggling passage. Mm. Jesus is like this, hey, nations of the earth, <laughs> there's two things you need to know. Mm. Number one, I died and I rose and I'm coming again. Yes. Also, yeah. your girl Mary yeah. had a bottle of perfume that she poured out and she's the only one that got my value in the room. Do we understand wow. Jesus' value yes. and on her lever alone, Jesus defends the sacrificial mm -hmm. offering towards him. And uh, so it's it's like all things in our life. We have limited uh, capabilities yes. and limited assets in our life. And every day we're making a decision. It's a value decision about what we will trade for what. Yes. And if you want to build a life of prayer, you're going to have to give up some things and make conscious trades of temporary things for eternal things, mm -hmm. entertaining things, for more intimacy in the presence of God, knowledge of culture versus knowledge of the Lord. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so you're always going to have to be making these trades. And yes, so this, again, very strong language, a sacrificial allocation. If I could change this, here's what it would be, a joyful sacrificial yeah. allocation yeah. of resources. Yeah. David, I don't want I don't want to give yep. an offering or a sacrifice. Doesn't cost me, but he yep. did that joyfully. Yes. He did that joyfully. And so in what ways uh, would you say um, that you, perhaps Sam, personally have learned to bring a joyful, sacrificial allocation of resources? If someone was to come to you and say, hey, Sam, uh, I look at your life, I see intimacy with Jesus, fruit in prayer. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. What did you sacrifice? What would you say you've learned oh, in this man, space? It's so helpful. I would say, you know, just on top of what you're talking about, John with Mary, a big like just thing in prayer sets for us lately has been this idea of like, being delivered from a calculated devotion mm. and the problem is we're measuring out our devotion in comparison to other christians around us mm. you know i've referenced this before but it's just like everywhere the gospel is preached this is going to be told it's like when you see the gospel rightly the gospel of the kingdom of god like it just produces uncalculated devotion in you yes the problem is i'm measuring my devotion to chad's or to john's and it's just like that's never even close to what it's actually supposed to be so yeah. just starting there I think a couple simple things, small seeds produce large trees. 
I used to absolutely be paralyzed by reading these accounts of, you know, Edward's prayer life or you just name the people. I could never attain that. I can't even pray for 15 minutes, but can you pray for 10? You know, and it's that consistency over intensity that we we talked about in an earlier episode that matters so much. And so, man, just offering the Lord these like small windows of time. It's not this massive exchange. It's just what do I have right now that I can offer? And then what you find is you begin to find life in those spaces. And I personally, on this journey, becoming a man of prayer with no desire to do anything public, I just, man, I need God's help. Yes. What did the disciples do? They asked Jesus, hey, teach us to pray like you do. They're, the, the Jewish culture at that time has a culture of prayer. Mm. They, they, there's like culturally it's into the fabric, but they notice there's something different about the way Jesus does it. Yeah. Jesus doesn't initiate the conversational prayer. They respond to his life of prayer. And I personally just had this Can moment just, with the Lord. Just repeat that, please. Yeah. Jesus didn't initiate the conversation with prayer. They just responded to his life of prayer. Just one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus did not initiate the conversation with prayer. They were responding and asking the question due to his life of prayer. He's two and a half years in the ministry, and they're recognizing we're not asking you to teach us to preach, to heal, to do miracles. We're understanding your power comes from a secret source that we don't know about and we haven't seen yet. Teach us about that. And so I personally just feel I had this moment with the Lord. I can take you to the place I was at where I've read the books. I'm trying all the stuff. I'm trying to discipline myself in prayer. And Mm -hmm. God says, what do the disciples do? They ask me. Ask me. And then very simply, it's the ask, but then you have to make room. It's the mm. two steps. Like, mm. what do you want God to do? Ask him to do it and then make room in your life. Most of us, here's what we referenced this earlier. Most people make room and try to make it a work of the flesh. I'm going to commit an hour on my calendar. I'm just going to show up and you're going to be miserable and you're going to be beating your flesh. And then like you get a good run of two months in and you're just like showing up to the church feeling awesome. And it's, you're just sowing self-righteousness. Mm. Or you ask God, but you make no room. God can't even answer it because your life is so busy. Mm. You know, and so consecrating your car ride just turn the radio off you know like just just turn up turn the podcast off and just give a 20 minute car ride if you have that commute and just offer it to god Mm. ask god and make room for it and i found that to be just an absolute it changed everything about my life i mean it is it is those two simple things ask god to do it make room to do it it is everyone has the desire you know this is the natural human thing everyone wants to be in a better financial position few people actually seek it by being on a budget you know, and so ultimately, I just like ask God to do it, make room to do it. And I just started putting this into my calendar, not of a work of the flesh. But if you're meeting with an influential figure, you know, like the most influential person in Manhattan reaches out to John or I and wants to meet with us, I just got some weight on your calendar. And dude, I just started putting it on my calendar. Like, I have an appointment with the living God. Yeah. This is not moving. Yeah. This is the most important meeting mm-hmm. I've got all day. Mm-hmm. And yet we treat that as like the least important. It's like, if you want to become a pilot, what do you do? You put it on your calendar, you sign up for pilot school you show up for six months and you just you just put on your calendar you show up and over the course of time you grow and you develop in that space and i think the same is very true in prayer personally it's just like man you small seeds is small things ask god to do it make room to do it and then put it on your calendar and just remind your own heart who you're meeting with mm. things don't slip into that territory for me and i carve it out in other spaces you know i get up early for this i stay up late at night for this like the people in my life don't necessarily feel the weight of this like my wife doesn't feel abandoned because i'm seeking god i'm doing it when it's like it costs me. It doesn't cost her. Mm. A lot of people want to do this when it costs other people. And I do think there comes a point where that is like a confrontational moment that will happen. But man, at the end of the day, oh. it's just being resolved and just being reminded, I am meeting with the living God. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. We're, therefore, we now have this as a living doorway through his torn flesh. 
the price that was paid so I have access before the Father is so significant. And man, I want to honor that sacrifice by boldly entering in, approaching the throne of grace. I, Chad, I want to ask you how you've done this in your family, but I'm always reminded, you know, the parable of the pearl of great price, the merchant, and then uh, the treasure in the field. We've always understand that is God is worth giving everything up for, but... I heard this one interpretation of that parable, and it's really haunted me. They said, when you study the Gospels and you ask the question, in the Gospels, in the teachings of Jesus, who is lost and who is looking? Who is lost and who is looking? Mm. Here's what you realize. It's not that God is lost and you're looking for him. It's that you're lost and that God is looking for you and that you are the pearl that was sold on the open market, and Jesus is the merchant who gave everything joyfully to get you. You were the one buried in obscurity, and he's the one that sold everything with joy to get you. All you're doing is responding to his wholehearted pursuit and sacrifice for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not, you suck, God's worth it, try harder. It's like God Mm. thought you were worth it. He reached for you. He sacrificed everything. Yes. Ephesians 1 said that God considers himself rich because we're his inheritance. Yes. The only thing the sovereign God of the universe doesn't have that he wants is your whole heart. Everything else is his. The whole of creation is his. And what he wants is you to say, I want you back. Mm. So it is Responding. that joyful response to the God who gives everything for us. Chad, how have you done it in your family, mate? What if, what if in, in terms of a sacrificial allocation of resources, Sam talked about how he's done it in his own life. What about your family? Yeah, so I, uh, I've got an uh, amazing wife and then four kids, mm-hmm. soon to be 11, 9, uh, 7, and 5. And so when we think about what our little family sacrificial allocation looks like is doing a lot of small, unimpressive, usually interrupted, unflashy, <laughs> not professional, That's it. not necessarily that super anointed, but we, we, ref, we refuse to turn the dial, but to say, it is my children's inheritance to know God, to love God, mm. to know the voice of Jesus, and to prophesy, which is to say they're living out of the revelation knowledge of who they are mm. because of who God is. Mm. It is a slow slogging journey, mm-hmm. whether it's Bible reading around the table, to quit hitting your brother. This is Bible and prayer time, or it's dragging. <laughs> this is so important. Or or it's, or it's, or your sister, or, or it's dragging them to our our altar times, our prayer meetings. And I, it's mostly my wife because I always have to get there early with with music and teaching responsibilities typically. But she's dra- I see my wife dragging the kids to the back of the room chasing them, trying to wrangle them, but they're in the room. It's distracting. It's noisy, but more is caught than taught mm. in the kingdom of God. Mm. So it mostly it's, it's the sacrifices as, as sort of an artist and someone who mm. likes to have uh, controlled, beautiful, awesome outcomes. Yes. So much of the sacrifice is being willing to lay all that down to realize more is caught than taught, mm. be consistent, I am an intense person as well, but the more I live as a dad, the more I realize my kids don't always respond <laughs> to my intensity, but they, they won't deny and they'll never forget the consistency mm-hmm. that the first thing they see dad doing in his chair in the morning when they come down the stairs is I have a coffee poured and my Bible is open. Mm-hmm. That there's the aroma of the knowledge of God filling the, the room mm-hmm. 
because I know that I can't be the husband, I can't be the dad, I certainly can't be the pastor that I need to be without giving God his, his first, the first fruits of our time, treasure, and talent. And so again, it's like doing the long game, just knowing you're going to have like 250 days out of the 350-something day year that are going to be mostly feel like, did that even land? Mm. But I'm playing the long game mm. and believing Small that hey, they're 18, they're, they're 20, they're 24. Like, Dad, you know what my favorite thing about you and Mom is that? Because my wife does the same thing in the morning. And when we came down the stairs, both of you had your Bible open. Yeah. And you just, even though you guys tried to get us in the, and they do this, they, they, they love the word. They love the story of God. They love to worship and sing and pray. Um, but that you just, you kept inviting us into that, even when we didn't want to, and not just didn't want to, but we're flat out resisting it. And so to all of you parents out there, um, be of good cheer. Mm -hmm. God is doing more in the hearts and lives and minds of your children than you are seeing right now with the natural eye. I want to just clarify something. Did you say you bring your kids to prayer sets? We uh, our, our night ones, certainly. Obviously, yes. they're in school. But like when we do Wednesday night prayer, prayer and worship with the word and prayer, uh, of course. And sometimes a well, kid... Not, not, not of course. No, sorry, mm -hmm. not of course. But, well, and a lot of times, my, what I've... What I've uh, in this, the building we're using right now, there's a little, like one little kid, this wasn't my kid. My kids were a part of the noise, certainly, but he grabbed the toy guitar <laughs> mid worship and prayer kind of comes up on the stage. And I'm like, I'd rather brave the mess and know that yes. they have permission to yep. seek God yep. and to make a joyful noise. I know yep. that can be overplayed. I just want to say this to as someone who provides oversight to prayer room spaces. I feel like parents are always the one that feel like their kids are a distraction when everyone else in the room is like, this is the best possible distraction in the room. Thank you for bringing them here. Yeah, they're, they're Because like, we bring kids yes. to every atmosphere and it's like, why is it not okay for kids to be in an atmosphere where adults are seeking God and we invite so them to do that? It's like, I always tell, anytime I see parents are bringing their kids, it's like, they're like trying to tell their kids to be quiet. And I'm like, please let them yell. Like, please let them, like, I, it's just like, obviously what our parents are doing in discipline, but it's like, they, I feel the parents carry such a burden on them. It's just like, no, we want you here. This is like, I'd rather have them here. The mess of this, right? right. This is this is our future. This is where there's something that's deposited here. And Chad, you said something, and, I just, and John would love to hear from you on this. But a, it's not that pretty. I just think people get this idea with your family in your own personal life. It's like, man, I radically seek God, and it's just like just showing up over and over and over again. And I have these beautiful moments of encounter, but it's just faithfully showing up. Mm. Doesn't have to be that impressive, you know. Then you, you just mentioned this, like your family coming to the prayer meeting. Families are rearranging for sports, rearranging for academics, rearranging for everything. And it is time for families to rearrange to seek God together. And it's just so significant to see that. Don't let your self-consciousness as a parent rob your kids of a God-consciousness inheritance. Oh. That's it. Don't let them think, well, yes, I don't, I don't want to be in the room. I feel weird. It's like, man, just get your kids in the presence of mm -hmm. God. You don't know. They're having a dream. The Holy Spirit speaking to them as a kid. They hear mm -hmm. a prayer prayed, prayed, prayed over them. Someone's got a prophetic word. That's it. You man. never know what's going to happen. So I love, I'm yes. with you. I love my favorite thing. Go to a prayer meeting or even at church. It's just like you know, kids are running around going mad. And I'm like, this is it. man. You this belong like, here. That's exactly and this is right. a life hack, life hack. So this is uh, specifically to pastors, ministry leaders, but apply it to your own zone as well. I've begun to include them in some of the setup, tear down to space and, and just coming early with dad. And this is where you actually, for my kiddos, 
you actually see what they're picking up on when no one's in the room but us and the sound equipment's on and they have instruments. Yeah. You're you're shocked to go, I didn't know you knew how to sing, Benji. I didn't, because you just give them permission to try. And so again, the sacrifice, so like, it's not, and even, even moments, I remember we, we just let a, a communion space and it was, it was sort of lightly attended. It was the last minute. I just was like, we're doing a communion thing tonight. It wasn't great leadership on my part at all. Sounds like good leadership to me. But here's what's <laughs> unbelievable. So, so only a few people outside of my family came literally. Um, but Benjamin, my six-year-old grabbed the mic and, uh, um, because I, I was inclined to cancel the night because it was just my family, but these few others came from the city. And Benji had already had a mic before these other folks showed up. And he and I were singing new songs about Jesus back and forth. And for about 25 to 30 minutes, he's six. He's standing right over my right shoulder and we're ministering to Jesus. He's singing. I'm, I'm this. It, because I haven't sat here and extensively trained him how to sing a new song or how to sing the Bible. I'm not like, hey, son, here we go. Here's 20 minutes on learning how to do this. He's seen dad do it. But he's le uh, no hype leading us in encountering God and singing words. And so if there's any like little tool that's yeah. maybe for you what, listening to this episode, include them in the yep. setup, practice, prep mm -hmm. space, and then just be shocked when you give yep. them an empty room and a, and a live mic that's, you know, some That's things so might come out that will shock you and actually give you more fuel to do a lot of the other 350 days of mundane. If your daughter's <laughs> open to it, you've got, you, you showed me a little worship clip of you leading worship with your daughter. That is a uh, pull your car over. And <laughs> Maybe clip. we'll put a link on it. Maybe we'll put, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll put a, a closing uh, song on the end of this thing that is her leading worship. That's a great, that's good. Yes. I think as a pastor um, to build a life of prayer, if you want to build a church of prayer, you've got to ha have a sacrificial allocation of resources. Um, you've got to, and again, you know what you really value. So before you have it, have influence, you criticize. If I was in charge, I, oh, was, uh, I did that. But then you get in charge and you're like, oh, now I understand why they did that a lot more. <laughs> Nothing more humbling than having yes. the position you formally criticized and knowing how hard it is. <laughs> so true. But I said, man, I want to resolve, I, I want to, our church in New York to build a praying church. So I, I said, you know, I, I want, if you want to be a part of our team, you determine where your time, energy, attention, and money go. This is what it means to belong. So we, whenever it comes to prayer, I say, I always want to create time for my staff to pray. Mm. I am paying you to pray. Do you know what a joy it is that you get to seek the living God yes. in the middle of Manhattan on our church's time frame? So you've got to give your staff time to pray. I mean, if, you're not running a non-profit. Mm -hmm. Say that. You may live at a time where churches have a non-profit designation, but mm -hmm. you're running the church of the living God. Hey. And pastors are called to be people of prayer. Mm -hmm. Staff are called to be people of prayer. So I want to give staff time to pray every day. You've got to say no to the competing things. Mm -hmm. As your church grows, everybody wants their favorite ministry to be present. And I'm just like... We will get to your ministry after we've established this ministry. We are a praying church. So we give time to prayer in our, uh, in our services. We give time during the week. We give time in our calendaring. Second thing, energy. Um, you, every church only has so much energy to direct right. in certain directions. Sundays suck up a ton of energy. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm about resurrecting, no formation without repetition. I want people in the church hearing the word of the Lord, encountering the presence of God, receiving the sacraments, praying, having their faith built. But I can't let 
all the energy go to Sunday and have nothing left over during the week to build a culture of seeking God. Mm. So making sure that mm. uh, there's energy to seek God. You've got to understand that pioneering prayer is hard. Yes. You will be criticized. People yes. will challenge your scheduling. I, I've had people leave our church saying there's too much energy given to prayer. And I'm like, you should leave now because we really haven't even got momentum yet. So you've got to allocate energy. You're in a spiritual war. It's energy allocation as much as it's time allocation. Then it's attention. On Sundays, what makes it into your announcements mm -hmm. reveals what your church focuses on. Yes. And we close almost every week by saying, see you in the prayer room. See you in the it's prayer room. Every week. It's a part of our church's culture. And I don't mean like, see you there for 19 hours. I'm like, mm -hmm. my expectation is, like, would you come, come to a prayer set? Would you come yeah. and Give have an one anchor in your week of corporately seeking the Lord together? But that gets attention. It gets attention on our website, in our announcements, on our Instagram, in our storytelling, in our end of year giving, it gets attention. And then lastly, money. Um, the ultimate, mm -hmm. Jesus says, we treasure yeah, right. your heart is. So we have prayer in our budget. Um, you know, when I hired our first prayer pastor, I had no money for our prayer pastor. It was a faith hire. I was like, you know, and I'm from a Pentecostal background. I value theologically deeply, but I live by theologically simply. So a lot of my theology of money <laughs> is this, God's will, God's bill. That's it, God, you're up. If this yeah. is your heart, you'll provide my God's yeah. supply. Your heart, not my heart. All Agreed. your needs. So uh, Lord, so you're up and God provided in a miraculous way that build feels. So you've got to put time in your budget. You've got to allocate space. You know, prayer is often, it's, you know, mm -hmm. um, the, the kids thing will be, will have a whole separate building, but the prayer thing is under the stage yeah. on the, the left closet with the old choir robes and the, the mold yes. from the tub. The room that no one knows exists. That's exactly <laughs> right. You've got to put it in a space that matters. You've got to train your people on how to pray. Mm -hmm. Your staff have to realize this is a huge part, so you've got to allocate money towards it. And I think if if you do that, um, you create time for it, you give energy to it, you give it attention, you give it money over the course of time. And, and again, we're talking here about having a sacrificial allocation of resources. People say, how much does it cost your church to do prayer? And my honest estimation is around $600,000 a year mm -hmm. to build the culture of prayer. And I would say, by the grace of God, we have an extraordinary culture of prayer in our church. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but that has taken us six or seven years of going hard, building, allocating over the course of time. We started with nothing. We started tiny. We started with one prayer mm -hmm. meeting, and we've scaled up over time. But that constant, sacrificial, joyful allocation mm -hmm. ends up mm -hmm. building something beautiful in our lives. So that's a huge part of, of what it is. If you want to build a life of prayer, you are going to have to have a joyful, sacrificial allocation of the capital of your life towards it. And that's I want so you to good. know this. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. So we mm. want to encourage you, sit down this week and maybe just go through your schedule, go through your time yep. and just ask, Lord, what could I give up joyfully yes. to increase space for you in your life? God rewards those who diligently seek him. Yes. All sacrifice is met with fire, power, and joy. <laughs> God comes in and he feels that. So Receive we pray it. that this week God blesses you with that. And then we'll see you next week where we talk and continue our series on building a life of prayer by giving you the key to sustaining a culture of prayer in your life. We'll see you next week.
the sweetest of love When my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome Come flood this place and fill the your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Your Your presence, Lord.